welcome to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. Today we welcome Cynthia Corby. Cynthia was a financial analyst on Wall Street before taking a 17-year career break. She decided to pursue a master's degree in business analytics as a way to relaunch her career. We met Cynthia when she reached out to us to see if she could focus her final project for her degree on data analysis that would be helpful to us. A dedicated relauncher and looking for a way to pay it forward, she produced a remarkable analysis to update our estimate of the number of relaunchers in the United States. We're going to talk about Cynthia's career path, her decision to relaunch by enrolling in this graduate school program, what it was like to be in the program, and dive into what exactly is data science. We will also talk about the methodologies and results of the data analysis she did for us. Cynthia, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so happy to have this opportunity to speak with you. Uh, There's so much to talk about, but before we get into the methodology and the data science and the research you use to do the actual project, I want to know if you can start with walking us through your career journey, what you did before your career break, what precipitated your break, and then you're on a very long career break. So maybe some commentary about that. Sure. I have an undergraduate degree in math from the University of Virginia. And after uh, my undergraduate years, I went to New York City and worked on Wall Street for a couple of years. And I was there during September 11th. And during that Mm -hmm. very big event, uh, a lot of us were reprioritizing. And my boyfriend at the time and I decided to get married and move back to the Charlottesville area where I decided to start a family. And so uh, I originally thought maybe I would try to couple grad school with new children, but that did not happen because I ended up having four children two (laughs) years apart, and that was plenty. So uh, along the way, I actually uh, threw myself into a lot of birth and breastfeeding uh, advocacy work and nonprofit work. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I thought maybe I would end up relaunching in the nonprofit sector. Uh, But uh, along the way, too, I also really enjoyed uh, substitute teaching at my kids' school. And finally, I realized uh, that all of the things I like to do kind of did kind of come together with going back to school in a more technical way so that I could bring all of the people skills that I had really been developing over the last couple decades uh, into uh, purpose with some analytical skills that I had not really been using over the last couple decades, at least not in the same way. Of course, being a, mm-hmm. a parent is very much to me, I think, a, a systems engineering feat. But <laughs> it was definitely time to kind of merge all the, the skills together. And the master's degree was a good way to do it. Hmm, very interesting. So when you decided you were going to go for this degree, what kind of research did you do? Were you looking at a whole range of different kinds of degrees? Were they in person, online, combination? And how did you figure out which one was the right one to take? Well, uh, locally, there is a business school. I'm in Cincinnati. So the University of Cincinnati has a business school. And I had originally thought I was going to go back to get an MBA after my banking years. So that's always been on my mind. Uh, Since uh, my undergraduate years, the field of data science has really just developed and evolved. And it wasn't, you know, even 
an offering uh, when I was an undergrad. So yeah, it had been um, actually advertised on NPR that the University of Cincinnati has a program uh, in the business analytics. It was ranked very highly. And I had also known um, from relocating to Cincinnati that I really needed to get to know the community better because so much of what I'm good at is the networking piece. And I was missing Mm -hmm. uh, having that group of people in my location know my skills. And so I was really looking forward to meeting more people. It would have been nice in person because it turned out to be a pandemic year, but um, it was um, a way for me to get to know local professors, local professionals and um, in industries. And, and that really kind of drove me to staying local. Uh, There are lots of programs in data science and business analytics that you can do online. um, But I actually really just wanted to focus on the local choice for me. And it turned out to be a very good choice because it was economical and, um, you know, had a very longstanding ranking in the, in the field for, you know, delivering a really good program. Hmm. And, and what did it entail? Like what kinds of courses do you take and how long does it last and how does it work online? Okay, so my program and many of these programs require that you've already had the three semester calculus sequence and uh, linear algebra. So having had the math major that was checked off, uh, there were people in my program that didn't have it all done and they were kind of doing uh, a last semester of calculus before the program started. You did not have to uh, know any of the current kind of hot programming languages, but if you'd had a semester of programming in your past, that was highly recommended. And uh, my particular program was one full year where it started in the fall and actually is concluding in the next couple of weeks. And there are programs that are 18 months or even more condensed to like two semesters. So uh, look at your program and and decide, you know, what fits best for you. But for me, I could be a full-time student two semesters in theory while my kids were in school and um, then have the summer semester to do my capstone project. You know, while you're talking, I'm thinking about, uh, we did a podcast with Michelle Friedman, who's uh, an organizational strategist and executive coach, and uh, it's on the learning curve. And we talk about this concept by Noel Birch, uh, who created the concept in the 70s, about four stages of learning. And that sometimes your learning can take a dip when all of a sudden you become aware of everything that you don't know (laughs) before you then start learning it. So I'm just wondering, you enroll in this program, you had, I'm guessing, the three course calculus and linear algebra years ago, like 20 years ago. Um, You're in the middle of these courses and they're starting to get intense and technical and did you have any wave of intimidation? Did you have a wave of oh my gosh, I didn't realize everything that I didn't know. And if you didn't, please talk about that. And if you did, how did you emerge out of that? I absolutely had that wave many times. The tide would come in, the tide would go out and repeat. I, um, bef- As I was applying to the program in January, I uh, dusted off actually calculus books and I enrolled in an online class in Python because I thought for sure all of these uh, people that only had a couple of years of work experience out of undergrad were going to come in with all of this coding skill that I was uh, not up to speed on. So I taught myself Python and I uh, really reviewed some just very basic calculus and my, I have still have my linear algebra book looking up at that. I downloaded the syllabi of almost every class I could find uh, online and I actually walked through <laughs> this 
the syllabi with my husband, who is a um, who actually works in this field. And so I went actually very much in an itemized way. I was like, is this going to be too hard? Is this going to be hard? Do I know how to do this mm -hmm. already? What does that really mean? Is that going to be? Mm -hmm. And because I really, I think so much of my journey was about managing not only my time, but like the time of five other people in my in my, you know, orbit. And so I right. really wanted to go in, like being able to manage my time as best as I could. And so um, the wave of being overwhelmed, I really wanted to preempt that worry. And it still happened anyway. One of the first classes in the program was somewhat heavy on the calculus and it was a kind of a probability uh, class. But now that I've been through the program, I am here to tell people that do not let the math part worry you because the theory, the theory behind the data science is helpful, but it is not, it doesn't prevent you from just being able to implement these tools. So, you know, you can understand uh, maybe how any piece of software really works on the back end, but if you really just need to learn how to do, you know, sum up a, few, a column in Excel, you don't really have to understand like how that works. You can just do that thing. So um, it's it's nice. And I think that the underlying theory is very helpful. And I was very happy that I had the calculus sequence done. And But I, I over-prepared is kind of the short answer, mm -hmm. is that I was more prepared than my peer group. And I certainly want to encourage people to put themselves in that position. It felt great, actually, to feel like I had all my tools ready to go, but I didn't end up needing a lot of them because the program was so well thought out to really help everybody from all walks start at the same place and end up in a certain place together, too. Wow. I hope everyone is listening carefully to that in the audience who might feel intimidated about jumping into a technical or quantitative-based program uh, to hear exactly what Cynthia is talking about. Cynthia, were the classes um, live and virtual or were they recorded and virtual? There was an evolution because the, the department was so good at working with the new technology that they actually even have a professor that specializes in, you know, online meetings. And so the first semester was almost all live and virtual. The second semester, they did an amazing blend of pre-recorded videos. They even had, uh, I think, a philosophy that if you're ever monologuing for 10 minutes or more, that should be a pre-recorded lecture so that the students mm -hmm. could use live time for much more of an office hours Q&A interactive session. And so the second semester was a lot more of a, a mix. And you could actually, it was very helpful to me because previously there were some classes that were from like 6 to 10 p.m. on a weeknight, which for someone in my shoes that has kids that can't drive yet, but have to be all over the place was like mm -hmm. the worst time for me to be in class. So I could end up in the second semester watching that on my own time, uh, whether it be, you know, school hours or even weekend time. So it, mm, it was, that really, they really did a great job. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, let, let me just ask you a very basic question. Can you define for us, what is data science? I think at its core, it's using a library of tools to make sense out of all of the information that you might have at hand. And so when you start hearing words like algorithms and procedures and things like that, it's really you have a toolkit. And just like if you were pursuing you know, chemistry science and you have all these ways of approaching a chemistry experiment, you have ways to approach the data to help make sense of it and to 
really kind of figure out a story that the data is holding that needs to be uncovered. And the toolkit are ways to sort of control the data and and to make it usable for yourself, but they're already, those data sets already exist somewhere or you actually create them? Well, that's part of it. So you might have very structured data where it looks, you know, in your mind, it's like an Excel spreadsheet where there is a row and you can aggregate things, but you could also be collecting data, say, from scraping the internet. And, and that could be very unstructured. And so there's going to be a, a whole realm of tools to help you navigate pulling that data in, organizing it, cleaning it, uh, making some sense of it. So much of it is even understanding if the data is correct. <laughs> there's a lot mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. you know, acknowledgement of garbage in, garbage out. So mm-hmm. understanding your, your source and knowing uh, if the data really means what it's supposed to be meaning. Um, there's, we, you know, we did hear a lot of stories along the way of what happens when the units haven't been correct in previous, you know, disasters in history, or what happens when, uh, you know, marketing companies can use data in a way where it may be or maybe not ethical to be sharing it in a way mm-hmm. that um, maybe the public doesn't understand yet. So there's there's a lot of nuance to using all of this information. So it's not all just um, a coding game. It's also very much a conceptual game. Hmm. Interesting. And and that was actually going to be my next question. So you mentioned like Python and some of these other um, programming languages. What is the role of like when you learn those, how does that fit into the picture of being a data scientist? Absolutely. So if you, for those of us that are familiar with Excel, which was kind of my first job mm-hmm. out of undergrad was very Excel heavy. Uh, one thing that Python and R and and really companies have their own versions of these things too, is they are ways of pulling in the data without changing the data. And then you can do some functions with the data, you can visualize the data. Uh, so anytime you see something being done with it, that would count as a data science act. You know, some people, and I've spent a lot of time even myself trying to understand the difference between uh, data scientist and data analyst, you know, there's, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of crossover and being Mm -hmm. able to, uh, being able to use the data is why you need R and Python because, and, and really if they're just very user-friendly ways uh, I think that that's why they're so popular and you hear about them now is that there's people have been working with giant data sets for a long time and they've just been using other things like um, we had to learn SAS and um, that one is still very much used today in a lot of industries. And there's uh, there's you know plenty of other mathematical software tools, but this but R and Python are the hot ones because they are free and they're really easy to teach yourself. Their, the online community is really supportive and fabulous. And I encourage, you know, more people from underrepresented communities to like dive in because Mm -hmm. that community is trying really hard to help people learn this tool to help really bring all these voices and uh, perceptions of information to, you know, the greater good. Hmm. All right. Well, that's very helpful to me to uh, understand this a little better. Um, Let's get into the project that you came to us about. Can you walk us through, I guess this was some sort of a capstone project you got assigned and how you thought about what you wanted to do and approaching us? Sure. So part of my master's program is that each student does an individual project, they call the capstone, where they are leveraging, you know, 
some or all or maybe just a few tools that they've learned along the way. And the students are encouraged to go out and find a company that could use some uh, data science assistance, maybe a project that's been put on the back burner for a while. And uh, and if not, they can actually work with a professor. But I immediately thought I have always wanted to have an excuse to meet you, Carol, but also just to like work with people that are relaunching just like me. And I thought, well, maybe mm -hmm. I can be helpful um, because I this is you know a domain. I have domain knowledge of this this field of being a relauncher. I certainly have been trying to relaunch in the last over the last three or four years before uh, my graduate program without the degree. So I have a sense of what that community looks like and feels like, and um, maybe I could lend that. Uh, kind of business subject matter expertise to the data that you might have that's maybe not being put to work right now. And so when I reached out to you, I was so happy that you were eager to pursue this project and uh, you afforded me to a colleague who absolutely had a perfect data science project that was waiting for me. And so I dove in head first. I even joked it was kind of my my dessert project because I had some <laughs> other schoolwork that had to be done too. And so I uh -huh. could reward myself by uh, really playing with the relaunch data um, that I got to learn much more about. And now I can share with other people because the data source that you end up sharing with me is, is public and it's available to everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I just want to fill everyone in a little bit more. Uh, so we are so thrilled that you reached out because the project that you ended up working on, and I'll tell everyone about that in a minute, um, was had was super interesting to us and has been sitting there for a while and and everyone will hear in a minute. But I also want to acknowledge Shannon Amsbacher from our from our team who is our who heads up our marketing and is very data driven herself and was the one who was able to consolidate a lot of our material that was kind of all over the place it, to even present to you as a starting point. So, so that was, um, was huge, but let me, let me just tell everyone uh, uh, about it. Uh, so when Vivian Steer Rabin and I were writing back on the career track and we got that book contract in 2004. So we were writing that book in 2005 and it didn't come out until 2007 because um, we turned it in like, uh, I don't know, the, like, uh, like the end of 2005 and uh, things took longer then. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually had, you know, a big New York publisher who published it. It was Hachette Business Plus. It was great. Um, but anyway, we had this very intensive period where we were doing a lot of research. Uh, we were talking not only to over 100, and we were focusing on stay-at-home moms at that point. Now we look at the relauncher population much more broadly, but we were talking to over 100 stay-at-home moms who had returned to work, and we were talking to academics and work-life experts and recruiters and um, employers. And uh, one of the things we wanted to do was estimate the number of relaunchers. So at that time, the way we were defining it were essentially educated mothers of prime working age who were not in the labor force and were interested in returning to work. So um, if you drill down, that is women between the ages of 25 and 54 with children under 18 with a bachelor's degree or higher who are not in the labor force. And then a couple of studies uh, told us about 80% of them are interested in returning. So we use that as a ballpark and that's how we ended up with our number. And originally 
there, I'm, I'm going to call out Catherine Bradbury, senior <laughs> economist at the Boston Fed, uh, who was so gracious in, uh, in hearing what we were interested in finding out and uh, helping us get this answer by searching Bureau of Labor Statistics microdata. And I'm sure a whole bunch of other data sets, and I'm sure, Cynthia, you can comment on this. So she's the one who initially, who gave us our first number. Uh, and and you can talk about the numbers and the progression in a minute. And then around 2013, we thought, well, the number's getting kind of old, so we want to uh, we want to update it. And we were also curious, what does the number look like now? And um, then we were able to do some rough estimates based on uh, population increases. But to get deep into that data again, Cynthia presented us with that opportunity for her to work on it. So can you tell us a little bit more about your reaction to that assignment, a little bit of the history of, of the two different numbers that we had prior and how you thought you would approach this? Sure. Well, when I first heard the project before I received the, all the documentation from Shannon, it was kind of like, I don't know if I will have time to do this in the kind of allotted semester because I didn't know how much uh, I would be able to replicate or how much digging I would have to do. There are so many ways to, you know, go about a number like this. But because Shannon did put together such a good, uh, essentially like a small booklet, and I bound it in a little binder, that detail that I was left with was so helpful that I could go directly to a data site that had already been, you know, curated over years and years. It was trusted. And so that piece of it was a, just me, very quickly taken off the off of me because that to me is one of the hardest parts with a lot of these data projects is making sure you trust your data. So mm-hmm. knowing that we had um, this IPUM's online data repository, which is curated by the Minnesota Population Center, they have curated this data over months and years, and they have it harmonized so that as things change over time, you can still aggregate it and get a meaningful number. And so uh, the information that Catherine Bradbury had left us was not only that data site, but what exact variables she had selected. And I could you know, just learning how to use that data set took some time. And that would be kind of my suggestion to people is that it might be if you are interested in anything related to Bureau of Labor Statistics data, that this data set is so clean and so ready to use, but just learning how to use it is an investment in in your own ability to perform some really interesting analysis later. So uh, I definitely uh, applaud the Minnesota Population Center for keeping that data and uh, making it accessible to all of us. So um, after I figured out how to um, collect that data and then you actually extract it, you have to wait a little bit for it to, for you to get an email that says your extraction is ready. Then you have a choice of how you would like to download your data. And one of the choices uh, is something I had never heard of. And one of the choices was SAS and one of the choices was R. And so I was like, oh, okay, R is my... Uh, 
really good friend after a year of being in that. And so I was so happy that um, not only do they have some, you know, some choices within R, there's also an R package for those uh, people who are R users. There's an R package that makes it really easy to not only download the data, but also the kind of information uh, data set that helps you interpret the data. And so with that R package and um, with IPMs being so uh, trustworthy, I could then get right into what a lot of data scientists feel is like the most fun part, which is kind of treasure hunting and looking for the story. And for, you know, my first challenge was, can I match that number? And mm -hmm. it didn't take me as long as I thought to, to get there because of Catherine's very detailed list of her variables. And I was so excited to be able to cross check that one and previous numbers with Shannon. She had some, um, information that I hadn't had in a booklet. So we kind of went back and forth a couple of times. And so then I felt very confident that I was delivering similar numbers, if not the same, because these data sets, you know, they're fixed in time compared to some mm -hmm. data that's like always evolving, you know, billions and billions of, you know, rows of data that's always evolving. This stuff is fixed. So if you wanted to go get the same 2012 number of relaunchers with these parameters, it should be the exact same number. So can you talk about the three numbers um, at the beginning? I think we we started with 2.4 million and then we went to 2.7 million. And I just want to underscore that the women who take career breaks for childcare reasons remain the largest subset of the relauncher population. But by no means are we capturing the entire size of the population. But uh, because we started with this number, we were very interested in, um, and we had the number in, from 2005, and then I should say, Catherine Bradbury and team were very gracious in updating it in 2013. Um, so that was the initial number we were focusing on, and we wanted to keep consistent. Uh, and so that that's where we went from there. So the 2013 number was the first number I tried to match, and I had received a number of 2.7 million relaunchers. When I went back and researched this, I came up with 2,652,838 female relaunchers. And then with um, this software or with you know this coding language, you can really easily just include the men. And so mm -hmm. I was able to find out that in 2013, there were 430,000 thereabouts men having the actual 2013 total be slightly over 3 million relaunchers. Um, so wait, Cynthia, let me just clarify this. So you were saying the 2013 number, um, we had originally uh, 2.7 million and you ended up with like 2.65 um, million women uh, when you tried to match it. And then also about 400,000 men. Are you saying men between the ages of 25 and 54 with children under 18 and about? So the same demographic except male. So essentially stay-at-home dad. Exactly. That, that total okay. was about 3.1 million, even in 2013. And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised because I think the kind of cultural language around whether or not there would be that many male relaunchers it is, is very much like there are out there and it's not negligible. It's in fact, I kind of did a rough calculation over the last five years and it's almost always between like 13 to 17% of the total relaunch population is men. 
Mm -hmm. And I just want to clarify for our listening audience that um, so that 2.7 million number in 2013 was the raw number of people in that demographic, not in labor force. Remember, studies show about 80% of them are interested in returning, not 100%. So if you take 2.7 million and you uh, multiply it by 0.8, you get about uh, 2.2 million. And that was the number we were using for a long time of how many uh, relaunches, rather. We weren't at the time including the men, but it's so interesting that we should have been. And uh, that was a sizable number. Anyway, just want to point out that that nuance to our audience who might be paying attention and wondering if what, if there was a little discrepancy there. There's no discrepancy. We were taking 80% of that number. Exactly. And I was just definitely, you know, since I relaunch is being much more inclusive in their definition of, of relauncher, mm -hmm. I want to make sure I did report uh, both the female yes. number and the male number. And a side note, you know, this is why many perspectives are needed because as we know that gender uh, like enumeration is probably going to change over time. And so that's going to be another thing with data is like how you define a lot of these uh, demographics. Yeah, no, it's important. And I'll just make an additional note that that does not include the relaunchers who take elder care career breaks or have a personal health issue or an expat experience or um, military spouses necessarily, although some of them could be in that number. Um, and then people who are maybe in the military who then take a break after military service. So there are a lot of other categories that we're not capturing here, but we are focusing on this big subset. Exactly. And what was really nice to see is that because you're downloading the monthly data from this IPM set, you can actually see the number of relaunchers as reported anyway by the Bureau of Labor Statistics microdata, how it changed month by month and how it really did, you know, peak very much uh, in April of 2020. At one point, we had about 4.6 million relaunchers out there. So, mm. uh, and it's, you know, mm -hmm. definitely creeping back down as uh, companies are learning how to help uh, parents work from home and things like that. And um, all sorts of people navigate the, the balance between work and um, private life. So after re, uh, being able to match the 2013 and the 2006 numbers, I just made sure I could report actually what the official relauncher number was every year since then. And right now, 2020 ended with the average number of relaunchers being 3.7 million. And then the year to date average, which was through May of 2021, was 3.4 million. So it is creeping back down, but it is still, the total relaunch number is still above 3 million people. And can you break that down into um, female and male, the 3.4? Yes. The, the female number is 2,895,000 and the male number is 523,000. Okay. So just to clarify, because I don't think we ever even said what the original number was in 2000. I had said 2005. It's actually 2006. Um, and that was about 2.4 million. That's the women only. Yes. And then 2013, remember, it was about 2.7 million. And now, um, Cynthia, you're saying that uh, the, the year to date number is 2.9 million for the women. And then of course we have about half a million men, male relaunchers um, in that stay at home parent category. You got it. Okay. 
Interesting. So um, this, so of course, this is a number that we're endlessly fascinated by, and to see it sort of, uh, you know, just the trajectory uh, is in itself is interesting. And so again, that's a hundred percent of the people who are not in the labor force in that category. So um, you know, if you're taking eighty percent of two point nine, you get about two point three. It's a lot of talented people. Yes. All right. Very interesting. Um, any other commentary on Cynthia about uh, the process or were there any surprises uh, or any other comments on the project? Oh, I just, I think there's so much more to learn. And I, I guess my major comment is I've just scratched the surface. So mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. so excited for iRelaunch and um, some of the, the information treasures that are awaiting you. Well, thank you. And I should say that Cynthia presented to our team and underscored that this is the tip of the iceberg in terms of the data that's available and the type of analysis that can be done. Uh, so that's that's something that that we're going to be taking a look at. So, Cynthia, we're we're at the end of our podcast time right now. Uh, that went very quickly. And I want to finish up by asking you the question that we asked all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? I suggest if you are considering going back to school as a way of relaunching, that you not doubt yourself, and that my biggest piece of advice is to make sure you have a support person or team, very much like we have learned along the way that it takes a village. I think you need a person that has done it before. So if you can find someone that has done that graduate program before, help you, you know, re- stay confident that you can do it and it's you're going to get through it. And then also people that just know that you're a talented, smart person and that you've got this. And so I I would just surround yourself with one or more people where on those days where you're like, what am I doing? What, what, Mm -hmm. what, what, who do I think I am? That person's like, are you kidding? You are a rock star and you are. And and that's the thing. And that's, you are giving so much to your cohort that they are happy to have. So know that you are just what your graduate program needs too. Hmm, that's excellent advice. And also it's making me remember something I, w- I wanted to comment on earlier was that you had a course, a, a degree that required a capstone project. And we talk about how capstone projects as part of degree programs, certificate programs, even course itself are so important because you not only have the course, but you have the capstone project experience, which is sometimes even more interesting to talk about than the course itself um, when you're having talking with professionals in the field or in an interview. Absolutely. So did you find that? I did. I did. I've had a lot of fun talking about my project with all of you, which is perfect, which is exactly what I wanted because it was another excuse for me to make sure people know about relaunchers and to make sure people know that this is a wonderful resource for them. I can now share it with uh, my employers, which to be honest, we're almost all my interviews were almost all men. And mm-hmm. I could say, you know, this is a, a company that's out there that's helping people like me find a great positions. So it, it was, it was so easy to talk about something that I'm interested in. And yet I did use all these tools that my graduate program taught me how to use. So absolutely. Mm. Well, we are so fortunate that you reached out to us, Cynthia, and we love that we have you in our orbit now and we're so excited about your relaunch and uh we're 
also so grateful for you for speaking with us today. I am so happy to be able to share and uh, please let folks know they can find me because if they need me to be that person that's been through the program before, I'm absolutely happy to say you've got this and uh, have no fear. I'm here to kind of cheer you on. So um, Cynthia is very generous. You can reach out to her on LinkedIn. She suggested that to us earlier, to me earlier. Um, So it's Cynthia Corby. Yes. C-Y-N-T-H-I-A. Right. C-O-R-B-Y. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Excellent. I'm the UVA undergrad, University of Cincinnati Business Analytics master's student who will be posting that she officially has a master's degree in about a week or two. Woo! So exciting. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we got to end on that note. That's even better. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us today, Cynthia. Thank you, Carol. Have a great one. Yes, you too. And thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us. 